This is The Way, and I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo. Welcome to our episode-by-episode discussion of Star Wars Visions, an anthology of anime-styled animation available to Disney Plus subscribers. All nine Season 1 episodes were made available on the same day, September 22, 2021. The stories don't interweave, reference each other, or count as far as canon is concerned. This series is an experiment of sorts. It's a chance for different artists from a different culture to reveal how Star Wars inspires their work. Different studios, different animation styles, different artists, different directors, most importantly, different points of view. We still get to see Jedi and Sith, lightsabers and blasters, aliens, droids, humans, spacecraft, planets, but through a different lens. Maybe that's why they call it Visions. Possibly. I'm This Is The Way podcast host Steve Lascalzo, and I'm speaking to you now on behalf of Cufflinks.com. The Book of Boba Fett debuts on Disney Plus in December. You're starting to run out of time to shop for that special Star Wars gift for that special Star Wars someone in your life. Obi-Wan isn't your only hope. Go to Cufflinks.com and take a look around. New items pop up all the time, and yes, of course there are Boba Fett-themed gifts. You don't need to hire a bounty hunter to find something. Use the filters to find items featuring Mando and Grogu, Vader, R2-D2, Yoda, Stormtroopers, TIE Fighters, the Death Star, the Millennium Falcon, lightsabers, blasters, walkers, speeders, Kylo Ren, Chewie, BB-8, and everything is well made, even their new, more affordable ties. There are more than 3,000 licensed accessories made by this small, family-run business. Cufflinks.com is the exclusive, officially licensed provider of Cufflinks for dozens of top-name brands, and Star Wars isn't the only one. Browse through a selection of Disney, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones, DC Comics, some new Star Trek offerings this month, and fans of our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast may recall we talk quite a lot about their great Marvel-themed items. Maybe you're looking for top fashion design names or sports-themed items from leagues like MLB, NFL, NCAA, NHL, and the NBA. And it's not all cufflinks. Ties, tie bars, clips, shirt studs, stays, father and son gift sets, lapel pins, money clips, pocket squares, socks, even a mystery box. If you go shopping, enter the way 15 at checkout for 15% off everything in your cart with no minimum to buy. Whether you want to share your imperial side or let everyone know how much of a rebel you are, cufflinks.com has you covered. Check out cufflinks.com today. Episode 4 is titled The Village Bride and is brought to us by Kinema Citrus. It's 16 minutes, 21 seconds from first shot to credits. The writers are Takahiro Uonoshi and Hitoshi Haga, and Haga serves as director as well. The English voice cast has many names, only a few I recognize, but looking them up, I certainly recognize the faces of many of them. Karen Fukuhara voices F, and I know her as Katana from the first Suicide Squad and Kimiko from The Boys. Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa voices Falco, and I recognized him as Shang Tsung from the first Mortal Kombat movie, way back in the 90s, I think it was. Nicole Sakura as Haru, 
is Cheyenne from Superstore. Christopher Sean is Kaz from Resistance. Um, and he was Asu, the groom. Andrew Cashino is also a veteran voice actor. And he voiced Saw Gerrera in the Bad Batch episode Aftermath. Eva Kaminsky is a voice on four different Visions episodes. She plays a Jedi and villager here in The Village Bride. The score of this one, though, is really kind of one of the stars. Kevin Penkin, a British-Australian who got his start in video games working with one of my favorite composers, Nobuo Uematsu. And I guess that's why I would think he would be one of the stars, because I really, really love Nobuo Uematsu. If you're not familiar with his work, might I point you to Final Fantasy. Penkin also has done work in anime, and actually his first foray into it was a Kickstarter project called Under the Dog with Kinema Citrus, the studio that's handling the Village Bride episode. The filmmaker focus for this episode focuses a lot on Penkin. Remember, you can watch filmmaker focuses on each of the episodes in the extras panel on the Star Wars Visions Disney Plus page. It describes Penkin's work on the soundtrack using traditional Japanese instruments, which I think they really appreciated. It followed the theme that Haga wanted to promote, which was one of nature and the mountain worship in Japanese culture and the harmony of it. Penkin also portrayed the bride and groom as um, force-sensitive with his um, themes, and Haga wanted, wanted it that way, but only as... You know, they were only observational in their force sensitivity. They didn't know how to use the power, which was a really good choice, I think. There are a lot of silences, or maybe stillnesses, in between the moments of the short film. And they are used really well by Haga to heighten the anticipation of the action. Now, if you haven't guessed by my positive tone, I really like this episode. And... I like the way Star Wars is represented in it. I'd rank it right behind the duel at this moment with five more episodes to watch, though. We'll see how a planet never exposed to Jedi might interpret an awareness of the Force without knowing what it is. They're calling it Magna in this. We see a planet's people trying to live in harmony with nature, but also with intrusions of technology. You know, they're not struggling against them, though. They're adapting with them and to them. We see that Spirit affects outsiders who have learned to be still and serene, but they have more lessons to learn in you know honoring the past, but also being able to let go of it at the same time. It's a former Padawan in this episode accepting that lesson. She graduates herself into an order that's being exterminated. You know, she's been on the run since Order 66 and has always been careful not to reveal her power. And meeting the bride and groom may be one of the first time she lets people in. But faced with letting injustice stand or intervening, she chooses the path of a hero and guards them as a Jedi Sentinel. You had paid the price for your lack of vision. Let's get to the episode. It begins with a view of the planet Kelia from space. Now, I know its name only because I read an article on StarWars.com. It was not uttered or represented on the episode. Remember, though, these episodes aren't canon, so the planet is created and exists only in this Visions episode. 
the first episode didn't mention a planet name at all. And the last two had references to Tatooine, one of them explicitly so, because it was called Tatooine Rhapsody. So the planet, even having a name here, is interesting to me. There's a helmeted explorer taking readings with some instruments. He's joined soon by a masked woman who tells us she must be cautious. But the explorer tells her that the Galactic Empire won't see her here. He lifts his helmet to reveal his face and gray hair, and when the masked woman asks if he's done yet, he says no, the planet is too interesting. He says he wants to show her something and mentions her mask not suiting her. Then they notice a man carrying a woman up a mountain path with a chair on his back, basically. From the closed captioning, we learn they're a bride and groom. And from the dialogue, they're going somewhere sacred, and he doesn't want to get her feet dirty. They knew each other's parents as well, but they've passed. And there's the first of a few flashback sequences we see, where we see them as children and one of the child's parents. Those flashbacks are brief, but they do illustrate some aspect of whatever the conversation is. In this case, it's showing the bride and groom as, you know, they knew each other as children growing up, even though they kind of hinted at that in their dialogue. This is us seeing it with our eyes. There are close-up shots of different aspects of the clothes that they wear, decorations on the chair. We see a broken probe droid propped up as an ornamentation on the path. There's also talk of the parents who have passed being one with the planet, which in Star Wars we'd equate as being one with the Force. But like I was mentioning earlier about Kinema Citrus and uh, Penkin, there is a little bit of Final Fantasy in that as well. I, I, I do appreciate that uh, melding of the two universes there. There's some very interesting camera movements. And by that, of course, I mean movements of the animation to make it look like the camera's moving. And I did catch some very Star Wars-like wipes in there, a horizontal wipe to get for the pair from somewhere on the path to the sacred place, especially. There's not much dialogue for a little bit until they begin a ceremony that ends with calling upon a power that manifests itself in a large blue bubble. We are the sky. We are the forest. We are the river. The masked woman is watching from a cliff and recognizes the power, and I think we can assume from the way it's being talked about that she's recognizing it as the Force. It's not silence. There are soundtrack, and there's sounds of nature, and then there's a vision. The bride and groom did indeed know each other as children, and the bride's sister was there as well. The masked woman says it's the planet's memories, and the earth crumbles away downstream from the high place, a giant earthquake-looking thing. The explorer, helmeted once again, says the rituals allow the people of the planet to live in harmony with nature. She asks if that's what he wanted to show her. He replies to her. Only because an old friend of ours had roots on this planet. My master. It's after the ceremony, and the groom has brought back his bride to the village, but now when she talks about the beauty of nature and the repeating of the sunrise and sunsets, he's sullen, not cheerful like he was when they were headed up the mountain. The masked woman makes a remark about how the planet has been stripped of resources, and the helmeted explorer says it was by the Separatists during the war. So we know this is after the Clone Wars, but it's further confirmed by another flashback that the masked woman was I think we are to assume that she's reliving the death of her master during the flashback during Order 66. There's more quiet stillness, not just in nature, but 
Now there's a celebration happening without much celebrating. In fact, some of the villagers are grumbling that something cruel is going to happen. There are humans and aliens gathered, and a droid serves food. I think there is an Aqualish and a Ethorian that I could see in the crowd. The explorer and woman are seated near the back, and the explorer tells her they're not only welcome, but to refuse to celebrate with them would be a curse. Now, I certainly read that as more of a figurative one where it would be rude, but clearly there's something going on and the explorer seems to know about what's going on. A drink server, a human, tells them about how raiders reprogrammed the Roger Roger style B-1 battle droids that were left by the Separatists and they were being used as an army for the raiders to take whatever they want. The explorer seems to know exactly what they're taking as well, and it's going to be the bride. The drink server seems despondent, and another villager approaches to continue the reveal with the explorer for us, the viewers. The bride offered herself up as collateral to save her grandfather, the village chief. The villagers say they hope that the Magana will help keep the bride and groom connected forever so they won't be truly separated. They'll never be separated. This isn't right! <gasps> Saku! Are you really okay with the sister? So the bride's sister we saw before in the vision at the sacred place says this isn't right. Some of them are ready to fight. The bride says she's made her decision and oddly enough it's the closed captioning again where I think we get a clue as to why she thinks fighting is useless. Saku storms off, accusing her sister of giving up hope. What kind of wedding is full of mourning? Saku. So it's lines of dialogue from the villagers that are really barely audible. But in the captions, one says, poor Saku. Another says, poor Haru. So the bride is named Haru and... Um, Saku is the sister, but it's the next line that was short, simple, and I think tells us everything and gives us context. Now, the third villager says, first her parents, now her sister. That says to me that the parents fought against the raiders and died, and now Saku doesn't want any more death, so she's going to go willingly. I guess Saku is the bride, right? And Haru, I don't know. So the bride is named Haru. Saku doesn't want any more death. So Haru is going to go willingly. It's it's a little, you know, it's a little confusing there. So maybe Haru and Saku's mother was collateral. And then the father fought or whoever was the child of the village. She, if it was the reverse, maybe the father was, was scheduled to go, but the mother wanted to fight. Whoever it was, the spouse maybe fought to free them. And then maybe that's how they died. At any rate. We soon learn a little more about the masked woman and explorer. The explorer implies Saku's attitude reminds him of the masked woman. She catches on and accuses him of trying to instigate something in her. And then he says it's not like he cares about her code. Her code. Which doesn't mean he wasn't a Jedi, but it definitely means that he's not living by the code now. But it's not just that. His clever line reminds her that she has a code. And maybe she didn't want a seed planted there, but he's planting one anyway. You know, remember you have this code? The masked woman leaves the celebration for the forest, and then she levitates. What else? She levitates a rock, right? 
uh, something that you know Star Wars is fond of doing. You know, showing us the levitation of a rock. She's approached by the Force-sensitive bride, who notices that she knows about Magana, and rather than correct her, the masked woman appeals to that power in her, and says if she feels it, she must know the danger. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> you think I'm being reckless? So we get our bad feeling about this line, and it completely fits. The past couple episodes I've harped on the seriously awful dialogue. This is an example of doing things very well. There's not a need for flowery prose. In fact, some of the lines, like the ones from the villagers, are so brief and go almost unnoticed that the fact that it's building a world with that brevity is really impressive. Also, the way the bride is almost fearless because of the Force, where the masked woman is fearful because of it, kind of encapsulates the entire episode for me. One woman is at peace because she's embracing it, and the other one is fearful because she knows the power of it. It's honor, love, courage, and it gets driven home when the groom arrives to escort her away, showing her courage comes from togetherness and harmony, where the masked woman is left alone there in the forest. And then what creeps into her mind when she's alone but fear? You know, it's shown by a slashing red blade in her flashback. We get a scene at a hut where the couple has placed their clothes on display. Kind of like on mannequins or something, but I think it's a cultural expression that I'm not aware of. They sit kneeling in front of a fire, and when the groom reaches for a blade on the table, it's a knife. Not like a lightsaber blade. There are several other things on the table. One of them, I think, is a thermal detonator. He picks up the blade, and I don't know what's happening in this ceremony. Maybe it has some real-world significance, but it seemed to be as if he was picking up the blade and considering whether to use it to fight. But his bride looks to him for reassurance that he is with her. There's another ceremony I do recognize, but not from the real world. The masked woman is watching the sunrise, but it's the cutting of her braid that I noticed. She also drops her mask, but the braid signified she was in fact a Padawan at one time, and I think it means when she fled that it was her master being killed, and now she's either done with the Jedi Order completely or considers herself a Jedi, and I think we're going to find out in the rest of the episode which one that is. Are you the village chief's replacement? Yes, I'm coming with you in his stead. I like this planet. The raiders arrive, and Haru agrees to take her grandfather's place, the bride, but the leader of the raiders seems to have done some reconnaissance and found Saku and her friends with a detonator, like the one I noticed on the table with Asu's knife. That bandit is going to execute her and says there are no exceptions. And he points a blaster at her and fires. Only she doesn't die. Like Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens, the bolt is stopped in midair by the unmasked woman. She ends up throwing it back at his blaster, which when I looked it up is the same design as the one that the bounty hunter Zam Wessel used in Attack of the Clones against Anakin Skywalker. You know, when he was giving chase on the speeder after the attempt at Padme's life and the bounty hunter fires at Anakin. Now, I didn't recognize it. Like I said, I looked it up. I was like, I wonder if there's some significance to that blaster, and someone else seems to have figured that out. Now, the masked woman, or unmasked woman, says, casting a stone is not going to change the course of the river. 
but live in harmony with nature and you can change together. She uncloaks herself and then invokes both Magna and the Force. And the way it's done, I think, was such a small yet important detail that to me really felt right. Magna, may you rise. And may the Force be with you. The raider orders the druids and his henchmen to fire a Twi'lek and an Abyssin. Um, I think I'm saying that right. It's like Gore Koresh from the fighting pits in Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Season 2, Chapter 9, I think it was. Before they fire, they're fired upon by the explorer on a ridge, and he takes out a couple of the droids before he either runs out of ammo or just comes up with a new plan. He tosses his helmet among the droids. It starts to smoke. And then like a rocket heads up the ramp and into the ship. And when they show it from above, it kind of looked like a little bit like the Falcon. Not quite. Maybe it was still Corellian in design. But like the control ship in the Phantom Menace, when the ship explodes, the droids fall inactive. The leader from closed captioning I saw is called Azuma, sees his henchmen flee, grabs a gun and Harrow, and takes her hostage. He calls the masked woman a monster, but she says she's a Jedi. She ignites her lightsaber, and it's got a yellow blade. She takes a ready position. She's really far from him. They show the how far, the distance. She readies herself, and I believe she's going to use force speed to close that gap. It is a very neat scene. It's wrapped up when she turns off her blade, and the screen goes dark after slicing through him, I guess. And then there's a circle wipe to signify the end of that really short and one-sided blaster versus pistol duel. The last scenes are kind of like still shots that has a camera moving over them. And we see the unmasked woman leaving in what I read was a Z-95 Starfighter, according to a StarWars.com article. Again, not something I picked up on, but because I was reading and trying to research this, it's a ship that kind of looks like an X-Wing. It's like a predecessor of the classic X-Wings. And they never really revealed the woman's name, the unmasked masked woman. But she's credited as F in the credits. Just the letter, not E-F-F. Just F. The letter F. The explorer was named Valco. And he stays behind while she leaves the planet. The final shot being a classic send-off of the ship entering hyperspace. And then, end credits. Man, I, I hope you really enjoyed our podcast today. If you've listened to our podcasts of episodes 2 and 3, Tatooine Rhapsody and the Twins, you might have assumed... I was just giving up hope on finding something positive in the series. When I consider that possibility, I think my problems so far have centered on writing and the delivery that comes from trying to sync voice acting for English audio with Japanese animated dialogue. It just, there's something off about it. It's my own problem, I guess, with Japanese animation titles that, you know, anything when it the writing is bad, it doesn't matter if it's in English, written in English or written in Japanese or French. Bad writing is bad writing, right? But I don't really have many issues with The Duel or The Village Bride. I think the writing was just better. In fact, I've read that this episode is going to be the one submitted by the show for an Academy Award in animated short film. That means my description of the show at the beginning of my podcast where I talk about them being short films... It's been pretty accurate. I think it has a really good chance, and I think it would honor Star Wars to have this episode represent the show and, and win an Oscar. 
I would never suggest that one director or a set of directors or a group of directors and writers was a better Star Wars fan. But I do think that maybe some treat the original content, uh, the original stories, as more reverent. They're more reverential to those. And that's what I like. I don't begrudge someone for having their own fan fiction in their head and wanting to see and wanting to represent Star Wars in a certain way. That's their right. Uh, Everyone can enjoy something about Star Wars that they like. I just think if you're going to say that it's part of canon, then it has to fit in harmony with what else is already out there. You can't reinvent the wheels, so to speak. And the Duel and the Village Bride, I think, are the ones that are most closely related to the original visions of Star Wars that we saw. These new visions seem to be more in harmony than the Tatooine Rhapsody or the Twins. That doesn't mean they're better or worse. I mean, you can like whatever you want to like. I just think there is the representation of that dichotomy between the fans who love the old stuff, and then there's these this new group of fans who are like, if you don't like it, too bad. We're changing Star Wars. Get used to it. And I hate that. Because I, you can like whatever you want to like, but it's the newer fans who are more vocal and more uh, garish and flamboyant with their ideas about Star Wars. That they're more out there, the Ryan Johnsons, uh, so to speak. Those people who are like, I want to do something different on purpose. I don't like that. That doesn't fit in harmony. And the force really kind of has been a, you know, I mean, you listen to Yoda all day. That's what it's all about is not trying to force the force to do what you, you know, is to kind of be, you know, to ask for the help. You know what I mean? Like to, to request almost that the force do, do it, to guide the force to do what you, you know, to do your will, the, the will, the, the force of the wills or whatever you want to call it. Look, you can think whatever you want to think, but when you tell me how I have to think, that's when I start to to dislike, um, you know, y- your opinions. And to me, this was one of those episodes where it was like, yeah, it's it does something different and new, which is, I mean, the nature of content creation, you know. And but this was more reverential to what the force was than some of the other episodes. And I'm gonna feel that way. 10 out of 10 times. Anytime someone tells me their favorite character, if they're a new Star Wars fan, they say, my favorite character is Luke. I'm going to say, I I get you. I understand. I like R2. Yes, I understand why you like R2. I, you, you know Star Wars. You know, you're telling me that you've been paying attention to who is at the center of Star Wars. I, you can like the other characters, but... I've I've been told before, like if you don't like Ray, if Ray is not your favorite character, then you're just an old, you know, you're an old. I don't want to say they didn't say racist, but that's kind of what they they make you out to be. You that you're a misogynist, or you you know you just hate her because she's a woman. No, I don't. You know, in my opinion, there was a small yet important detail that I mentioned before. F invoking Magana in her monologue to Azuma at the end for the bride's benefit. And then she follows it up 
with May the Force Be With You. So she, right there, she's invoking Magana for the bride. You know, she is telling the bride, like, I, I'm listening to you. I'm part of this harmony. But then she follows it up with May the Force Be With You. It's a nod to that harmony. She's showing them, look, I trained in this. This is You want to know what this really is? It's the Force. And though you call it Magana and could learn to control this, I've watched you. I'm going to protect you and not interfere. She really gets it. I mean, the fact that she has a yellow blade is another small but really nice detail that's more to me than just a style choice. It's yellow is for a sentinel or temple guard. And F is guarding a temple. The temple of nature called, in this case, Planet Kelia. I, I, I like this episode a lot. What are you? Some kind of a monster? I am a Jedi. If there are Star Wars fans on the Oscar or the Academy Selection Committee, I I really feel like this episode has a good chance. I don't know what the other ones are. I you know I have no idea what the other competition is going to be. But if you like Star Wars, this is it's not even my favorite so far. I like the duel I think a little bit better. But this one, really, the director, the writer, is showing me they get Star Wars. And they've done something new. As for us, you know, it's not an uh, Academy Award. <laughs> but I'm not ready yet to announce our winner of our October giveaway. I hope uh, to have that for you in a news update. Maybe next week or the week after. But in the meantime, I'm going to rerun the contest. So there's going to be a winner. And anyone who has sent in a correct entry is already eligible. Now, if you've not completed all the steps, you cannot win. I can't run a giveaway, give the rules, and then bend them because I'm not getting people doing the right thing. It's not fair to the ones who do enter completely. You need to follow us on Twitter, respond to our pinned tweet. I think it's September 16th pinned tweet. Include the hashtags cufflinks.com, this is the way podcast, and the way 15, which also happens to be our coupon code on the cufflinks.com website. You also need to email us with the link to your reply to that tweet with the hashtags. It's got to have those hashtags in that tweet. So you got to reply to us in an email with the link to that tweet and your U.S. mailing address. I've got to verify you're a Twitter follower and have completed the task I set, and that you're in the U.S., so I can mail it to you in the U.S. Yes, it is complicated. Maybe I should have done it differently, but that's I got to stick to it this time around. I'll probably have to change things up in the future, but for now, I'm trying to build the podcast community I have here. If you need more complete instructions, download our September or October news update podcast of this year, and that will actually help me too, since it would probably count as another download and listen for me. Also, if you're interested in the giveaway, we do have one running on our This Is The Way Phase 4 podcast as well. It's a Marvel-themed podcast, and I've got podcasts planned for Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and of course, there's an upcoming Disney Plus series, Hawkeye, a six-episode series from what I've heard. Our Phase 4 podcast has similar rules to enter, and yes, you can be selected for that prize and the one here. Don't wait. Enter the giveaways now. Please also go check out the merchandise at cufflinks.com. And if you decide to shop, remember that 15% off site-wide code, THEWAY15. 
Everything on the site is 15% off with that code. You can email us, this is the way podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at this is the way pod or on Facebook.com at slash this is the way pod. The next episode of Star Wars Visions is already available. It's called The Ninth Jedi. And I've heard very good things about it, and it's going to be the focus of our next Visions podcast. Until then, I'm your host, Steve Lascalzo, and this is the way. May the Force be with you, always. Always.